0: Well, good morning. We are, during the season of Lent as a church, as we head towards Holy Week and Easter, we have been using the book of Romans to basically examine what the meaning of the death and the resurrection of Jesus for people like you and me. Our goal each week is to try to answer the question, what does Jesus' death and resurrection mean for us and the whole world? This morning, uh, we are in, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the second half of Paul's uh, chapter 8 to his letter to the Roman church. And while we're only going to be in the second half this week and next week, I would encourage you this week, if you have time, to read the whole chapter, to see this beautiful chapter of hope that we have and how meaningful it is for our day-to-day lives. But this morning, we're going to actually pick it up in verse 18. I'm going to read Romans eight eighteen through 30, and you can follow along in your Bible or in your order of worship, or you can just listen as I read. This is God's word from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Rome. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And those to whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word and it is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we do thank you for your spirit. We thank you that your spirit can challenge us, can encourage us, can remind us of truths, can convict us of things, and can bring us to understand a little bit more about who we are and who you are. I pray now that you will use your spirit to teach us through your uh, passage here this morning about your glory and about who we are as your children. In your name, amen. So I have a new favorite podcast that I've been listening to a lot recently. It's called Song Exploder. And each episode, uh, a different artist takes one of their songs and breaks it down for us. Artists like Churches or War Paint or Death Cab for Cutie and others, they take a song of theirs and they explain how the song came together. So in the episode, you kind of hear a little bit of why certain instruments were chosen, why they picked a certain melody or certain lyrics, and how the different parts all come together to make up this song. My favorite part of the episode is at the end. Because at the end, we get to hear the entire song after it has been broken down for us in its completion. I love that we get to hear the finished product after we have learned how the song was made. I share this with you as an illustration, hopefully, of what we get to do today with our passage this morning. I share this with you because the idea of seeing a finished product and how the product got made is how the Apostle Paul often does in his letters, including this one to Rome. Here, are the finished product, the complete song, is the hope of glory that we are heading to. The theme of this passage that I just read is the promise and the hope of future glory. The passage begins with the glory that is to be revealed to us, and it ends with the crashing chords of triumph for those in Christ Jesus. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. This passage is a beautiful passage to where we are heading. Paul wants us to give the closing song that we are hoping for. That the whole plan of salvation for all of creation. Paul wants us to walk away from this text really with a renewed sense of assurance that he who began a good work in us will complete it in the end. And we need this, brothers and sisters. We need this assurance. We need this hope and the promise of glory. Because the path of glory often includes pain and groaning and waiting and suffering. The finished product, the song in its entirety, is the hope of glory, but the path to the completed song of eternity is a path full of groaning and waiting and suffering. For the Apostle Paul, it is important that Christians think rightly about suffering Paul talks about suffering a lot in his letters, not just to the Church of Rome, but to all his letters, partly because he knows that suffering is the reality upon which we live. We live in a broken, fallen world, and we will experience suffering. Paul talks a lot about suffering, but when he talks about it, he talks about suffering in hope. Paul gives us hope. Paul points to where we are heading and says, we can have hope in the midst of our suffering. You know, Paul knows the answer to the question I started this sermon off with. Our series has the hope of wondering what does Jesus' death and resurrection mean for us and the world? And Paul would answer it this way, everything, everything, because of the death and resurrection and we can have hope. That's why Paul can say in his first verse this morning that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. What we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday in a few weeks is the renewal of all things has begun in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That one day suffering will be no more. That pain and death will just be a distant memory. And that our lives will not be full of frustration and futility when God comes and makes all things right. But as we wait for that day, we do experience suffering. frustration. And not only do we experience this, but creation itself feels it. We see here in our passage that creation was subjected to futility, that creation was trapped in corruption, and that the whole creation has been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth. The whole creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, the fish, the sea, The plants and the animals, they all are under the bondage of decay. The world as we know it, though still God's good creation and pregnant with his power and glory, is not presently the way it is supposed to be. We live in a fallen world full of emptiness, frustration, and futility. We feel it every time we hear about destruction and death in our world coming about because of an earthquake or a tsunami or a wildfire. We taste the decay in our city when we read about another senseless killing that happens. We feel the decay in our bodies as we or someone that we love is experiencing great illness, a sickness that will not go away. And many of us in this room are longing for change. We are waiting for things to get better. We are holding out, wondering, is there really more to this life than what we're going through right now? If you feel this this way, I get it. I too feel it at times, the frustration of pain and suffering. And I want to get into that idea that we suffer. And I want to talk about how God's children, as Paul says, do experience suffering. But I do not want us to miss the idea of creation itself suffering. I don't want us to move too quickly past the eager longing that the world has for something. In verse 19, Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole creation is on tiptoes with excitement waiting for something. And what is creation waiting for? What is our world longing for? But well, Paul says the creation is longing for children of God to have glory. Creation is longing for us to be made right and holy so that we can finally do what we've always been called to do. God created man and woman to be his image bearers in this world. God created us to be stewards of his creation, to love and care for the world in which he has made. And we have failed at this calling. Because of the fall, humanity has not fulfilled our calling as agents of care for God's good world he has made. So creation is longing for the renewal of the sons of God. Creation is longing for us to finally be God's agents of reconciliation in this world, bringing about restorative justice and beauty in this world that he has created. And until this happens, creation will keep groaning and waiting for things to get better. So what is our application to all of this then? What are we to do as we wait for the glory and restoration of all things that will come when Christ returns again? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to groan with our world. We need to share in the pain of our world. We need to not just be distant from the pain of the world, but rather prayerfully. And as we join in presently with the place where there is pain in our world, we should be there and we should groan. And we actually should groan not less than the world itself, but more than the world because we know where we are going. We know the end of the story. We know the hope of this creation. And as we wait, it should cause us to groan. But in our groaning, we should groan in hope, knowing that one day all things will be made right, that the waiting will be over one day. But not only should we groan with the world, but we should serve the world with hope. You know, creation is not to be just abandoned, but it's going to be renewed at the end of time. Part of the point of creation groaning in the pains of childbirth is that there is a new birth, there is a transformation of the world that is going to happen. When we die, we don't just go off to the clouds somewhere away from this bad, evil world. No, we believe God is going to recreate and restore this world to be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. We believe in transformation, not annihilation, of God's creation at the end of time. God is going to bring about full healing and restoration of all creation. And as we wait for this, those of you in this room that are Christians, we should be at the forefront of standing up to be signs and foretaste of God's eventual full healing in this world. Now look, whatever you think about the environment, whatever you think about various environmental movements, you can't escape the truth of Scripture. God created this world. He pronounced it good. And he entrusted the care of this world to you and me. And this entrusting of care is still true today, despite how often humans fail at it. We know that one day God is going to liberate this world from all of its pain and frustration. But that should not make us lazy or uncaring about today's world, but rather the future hope of restoration should excite us to think about ways we can promote this truth in hope of God's good creation. Now listen, I know that believers will naturally continue to debate what sort of actions we need to do to fulfill the Christian mandate, the stewardship mandate that we have been given by God. I have no desire to get into these debates, but I do think it's dangerous to think it doesn't matter what we think or do with God's world. If God is not going to destroy this world, but redeem it, we can boldly and hope serve this world as we wait for God to come. Caring for this world and caring for the people trapped in this world of injustice and poverty and futility and pain is exactly what we should be doing. And as well, I believe we should be caring for the environment. We should fight against just abusing this creation or using this creation just for our own gain. We should definitely groan and repent of the ways that we have failed to care for God's people who are his creation. But as well, we should repent of the ways that we have missed out on acknowledging God's creation shows forth God's glory and power in our world. But listen, it's not just creation that groans. In fact, it says that we ourselves groan. Verse 23 says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown immorally as we wait eagerly the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, Paul here is talking to believers. Paul here is talking to those that follow Jesus with their lives. And in fact, the verse just before this section in Romans that we're looking at, Paul says these words. He says that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs with God. And co-heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him. If we identify ourselves with Christ who came to overthrow and to renew the values of this world, then that means there are going to be times when what we do and what we promote will cause rejection and trials in our lives. Just like our Savior had. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, I mean, you might just want to ask yourself... Do I ever suffer for my faith? Do I ever experience any type of rejection at all in my life because of what I value about God and his kingdom? Now listen, I do not think we need to go run out there and try to find suffering. I do not think we need to try to beat ourselves up in order to make ourselves feel better about being a Christian who suffers. But I also think we should not escape the call of Jesus to follow him with our lives. And that might mean rejection. This season of Lent, these 40 days leading up to Easter, is a good time to ask ourselves, do we ever deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus? This is a hard call and one that we all should admit we fail at often. You see, Paul talks a lot about suffering in his letters, not only because he experienced great suffering in his life, but Paul knows that the believer's response to suffering in many ways indicates the quality of the joy and faith that they have in the midst of this broken world. So it is good to talk about suffering. And let me just talk to all of us in this room right now, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not today, whether you believe in Christ for your salvation, or you're in process of trying to figure out who God is, or you know for sure you don't believe in God. All of us in this room can hear these words. Life is very, very hard at times. Some of you have watched a loved one die, and it deeply hurts you today. Some of you have been wounded by others greatly. Physical, mental, sexual, or spiritual abuse has caused great pain in your life. Some of you deal with anxiety and depression, and it's hard to just get out of bed. I could go on and on and on. And when we hear verses like, God works all things for good, some of us just want to throw up. We struggle at times. We scream. We don't understand God's ways. And it kills me that I cannot just promise you a simple solution. I wish that there were three steps that you could take and you will never suffer, but I can't. I wish that I could tell you that if you do X, Y, and Z, God will take away all your pain. I can't. I don't like that I can't remove the suffering in my own life. And I can't remove your suffering as well. You know, I... I'm sure I've shared this with some of you before, but one of my favorite psalms in the Bible is Psalm 88. Because it's the only psalm that doesn't end with hope. In fact, it ends with the words, darkness is my only friend. And not only that, but the psalmist says in this psalm to God, why do you hide your face from me? The reason why it's my favorite psalm because it's real and honest and it allows us to pray that same prayer to God. The reason why I love that psalm is because it's a psalm of a lament and we need to lament and we need to ache and we need to cry and we need to realize we don't have it all together. I love this psalm because it's a reminder that it is okay that you feel hurt right now. It is okay if you question God at times. It is okay that you don't feel that everything is okay and you're not sure what to do. And let me just say that if you are not a Christian today, becoming a Christian won't make your life easier. In fact, it might make it harder. Not only because we have the call then to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. But when we know the truth of the gospel, it means we know the end of the story and we are groaning with frustration because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And it is hard and painful to know God could fix it, but he hasn't yet. I think this is kind of what Paul is alluding to when he talks about in verse 23, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Remember, this is two Christians who have already been adopted into God's family. So why is he saying they're still waiting for the adoption of sons? Because in some sense, while we are children of God today, we still are not complete. It is still the already, not yet. We are longing for the redemption of all things, including our bodies. Until that comes, we're going to groan. We have hope, but we still wait and wonder when it will come to completion. So what do we do with our suffering? What is our application to all of this today? Well, first thing I think we need to do is to ask ourselves, what do we think about suffering? How do you respond to suffering today? Are you just a stoic when it comes to suffering? Do you just sort of suck it up and move on and say, I just got to keep going? Or maybe you're bitter and cynical when it comes to suffering. You've been let down so many times and you're so disappointed that you doubt there'll ever be change that will ever happen and you've grown completely cynical in your faith maybe you're numb in your pain or you're trying to numb yourself with something in order to escape the pain some of you might be feeling angry at God right now abandoned by God let down by God and if that's true for you, what do you do with those feelings? does anyone know that's what you're going through right now? and listen if you don't feel this way, great If this is not a struggle for you right now, awesome. But let me ask you, if someone came to you with their doubts and their pain and their hurt and their frustration, what would you do? Would you perhaps avoid them because it's too messy? Would you just try to fix them and give them a simple answer? Or would you mourn with them and groan with them and cry with them? And if you're in a small group at this church, do you think your group is a place where people can come with their doubts and their pain? I hope so. I know some of you are in groups that that's exactly what you do, and I'm so thankful. We cannot try to struggle alone. We need not groan and suffer alone. The call of this passage is that we are to groan and be patient, but the call of this passage is that we can have eager expectations together even in the midst of the pain. That we can have hope even in the midst of the frustration. And one of the best things that we see in this passage here that can give us hope is the last groaning that Paul talks about here. Paul talks about the creation itself groaning. Paul talks about we ourselves groaning. But the last groaning he talks about is so important. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit groans with and for us. God's Spirit has been given to us and groans in our pain and in our struggles. When we don't know what to say to God, when we don't know how to acknowledge God, when we don't know how to overcome the pain and the suffering in our lives, when we feel weak and feeble... The Spirit cries out for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit groans with us. Do you believe this to be true? Do you believe that God is present with you in your suffering and pain? Probably one of the best books I've ever read on suffering is by an author and philosopher, Nicholas Wolterstorff, in his book, Lament for a Son. He wrote this book after his 25-year-old son died tragically in a mountain accident. Listen to what he says about God in that book. He said, It is said of God that no one can behold his face and live. I always thought this meant that no one could see his splendor and live. A friend said perhaps it meant that no one could see his sorrow and live. Or perhaps his sorrow is so splendor, Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares in our suffering. We do not serve a distant God. We do not serve a God who just looks down at our pain dispassionately. We do not serve a God who says you need to just suck it up and be better. We serve a God who not only enters into our pain, but suffered himself. God might not answer our pain the way that we would like. God might not be quick enough for us to fix our pain, but he is a God who enters into this world to suffer and die for our pain. We not only have a God who walks alongside us in our suffering, but we have a God who he himself suffered so that one day we can be set free from the frustration and the futility of life. Yes, yes, we are going to struggle, but may we struggle in hope because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know every person in this room. You know the ones in this room that have been crying to you for years, asking you for something and you don't seem to answer. You know the others in this room that are new to trying to figure out who you are and what to believe. You know some of us who have just grown accustomed to church And faith that we don't even think about these things. We just go along with the motions. And you know each person here and what we need right now from you. Father, thank you for pursuing us and for loving us and for walking alongside with us and for suffering for us. May we believe this. May we rest in this. And may we be motivated by this to go and love you and love our neighbor. In your name, amen.